Nikki Payne's pretty cool, Sarah. You guys were having Nikki Payne on for a little bit today, and then a lot more at another, at a future time. Yes. And as a five-minute firebird. So if you're not one of our patrons on Patreon, now is the time to, you know, get on it. Join the fun. Why don't you explain what a five-minute firebird is? They're never five minutes. <laughs> They're never five minutes. Our 15-minute firebirds. <laughs> one, so we have a Patreon, and there's a, a like an extra banter episode every month and a Discord. But then we had this idea of like just doing little video clips with people who um, are, you know, are authors that we think are cool people in the romance community. And they often don't really talk about their books, like just briefly, but then it's like kind of something else. So... Um, we had Christina and Lauren talking about concerts, for example, mm-hmm. or um, Eloisa James came on and talked about uh, how like heroes need to be harmed and yeah. learn. <laughs> and, like, you know, Joanna and I talked about like mafia versus motorcycle, motorcycle club romance. So they're kind of fun and they're just like way more chill and shorter. Sometimes it's just one of us. Sometimes it's both of us, depending on who we're with. And um, it's just like another fun way to see people they you know so anyway we like it and we think you would like it too so join us on patreon yeah i got a text a text i got a message the other day and this is not the first time i've gotten this message from a listener who was like how do i like find more faded mates community because i love the podcast and the answer is the discord um which you don't have you have to join the Patreon to be part of the Discord, and that's partially because we want to make sure that it stays our community, um, a community of people who listen to the podcast and care about it, and you know find it entertaining because that's really all you get at the Discord. And look, but all like- the levels of the Discord, uh, all the levels of the Patreon get the same stuff. You're you know, yeah, exactly. Welcome yeah, that everyone. Patreon, it's like drinking out of a fire hose, but you'll get there. It's fine. Yeah. Seriously. And yesterday I posted a picture, a video of myself crying. Did you see that, Jen? Oh my no, because I went to bed at like eight o'clock last night. I was so tired. Um, no, Jen. Okay, first of all, welcome everyone to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. And Sarah is about to show me what made her cry, apparently. Okay, look at, first of all, so <gasps> I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I hate the post office. We've done this before. We don't yes. have to do it again. And so I, like, I fail abysmally at going to the post office. Uh, but I yesterday I went to the post office and there was this big box there for me. And it says romance, romance reasons, reasons and take the finger Amazing. and uh, bare knuckle bastards and Derek Craven would never. It's full of stickers from like on the outside, so cute, including Roy Kent. It, at some somewhere on the box, it says whistle, <laughs> whistle. <laughs> um, Amazing. Anyway, on the Discord, they requested an early copy of Knockout. To share among yeah. themselves. So um, I mailed an early arc of Knockout, I don't know when, in maybe June or July, to someone on the Discord. And then she read it and passed it on, and they read it and passed it on and passed it on and passed it on. And it has come back to me. Oh, that's so cute. <gasps> it's got little of, post-it notes. It has like stickies and marginalia all the way through it. And they sent me a notebook that's full of... That's like their own the thoughts about the books and how much, how excited. So they all wrote like before they read it. That's amazing. How excited they were to read it. And then notes throughout. 
and like letters and it came back from Robin on the Discord and yeah, she sent so a bunch great. of category romances with crazy jobs for oh, us. Yes. So ship some of these to you and she was like, I'm really I'm I'm not only requesting a crazy jobs and category interstitial, I'm also providing you with content some, yeah, for it. Sure. Perfect. Which is really, I mean like the best way to get us to do the work. <laughs> and apparently a Lindsay Sands book that has a chastity belt in it. Oh, <gasps> Look at that. These people so, know So, I mean, a read-along title. <laughs> if I've ever heard one. Um, and look, this bobblehead Ted Lasso. Oh, so cute. So, listen, I was, as you know, I've been having a tough time this week. Um, and uh, cancer is a bitch, and my brother is currently, you know, really going through it. And so it was really nice, and this box made me cry. And, I like uh, how there's like a bomb on the inside of the box, which is very smart because if you're going to send something through the U.S. mail, as it's like we a little. Know, yes, keep that bomb says, on the Tommy inside. Go bomb. <laughs> Listen, perfect. I loved it so, and I took a video and I cried in it and I posted it to the Discord. So, if you too would like to see me cry on video, <laughs> just send us cool shit in a box. Listen, join the Patreon. Uh, what are we doing today? Listen, I was like, I'm about to shut it down because yeah, we know, don't have time for Eric a lot of banter flip today. His lid when he sees the length of this episode. That's okay. So we we love you, we, Eric. We love you, Eric. The podcast literally would not exist without him. Um, we have Nikki Payne on to talk about the 23 for 23 project and like kind of where it came from and how to how to do it. And then what we're going to do is uh, talk about a bunch of books and we are going to go super fast, right? So if you're like inspired, we're going to give and you can go to their website, 23for23.net, or you can just look at the photo array. And originally Sarah's like, we'll just give them 23 books. And then we realized it's probably going to be way more than that. We absolutely. We cannot be limited. Is no, what we have learned there's right. no amount there's of no boundary limit. that can contain us. Um, the 23 for 23 challenge is very simple. Uh, the organization wants you to head out there, romance readers, and you have been challenged with reading 23 books by BIPOC writers about BIPOC characters before the end of 2023, which we absolutely know you're able to do because you're romance readers. No problem. And that's like a week. (laughs) (laughs) So we have been thinking a lot about how to organize this because obviously like we're just going to be throwing titles at you. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to have a big section of contemporaries. Then we're going to go to historicals. I'm going to do a little YA section because you might have a young reader in your life that you want to pass some books on to. Um, And then we're going to end with a couple of fantasy sci-fi wrecks and then we'll be done but we are going to talk about probably well more than 23 so a lot of books so we're just gonna like get to getting but first we're gonna talk to nikki Payne, and yes. she's gonna talk about why she nisha sharma and adriana herrera came up with this challenge um how you can participate in it and how we all can promote it and make sure that we get more books by and about BIPOC people in the world. Welcome, Nikki Payne. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are thrilled to finally have you. I feel like we've talked about your books on the, your book on the podcast. We've had people who love you on the podcast, and now we get to have you yourself. I'm incredibly excited to be here. Yay! 
So, Nikki, you're here for, to join us today for a special episode where we're going to talk about an initiative that you and Adrian Herrera and Nisha Sharma have started. So talk to us about 23 for 23. Is that the right name? Yes, that's absolutely yes. the okay. right name. Okay. So um, Stimulate was super exciting because it was all about celebrating diversity. And something that we wanted to do was, like, get all of these authors of color in one room and and share and then also get a ton of influencers in one room and we're like okay what are we going to do once we have these authors and influencers in one room because one of the things that we were responding to is a real crisis of invisibility on like social media platforms for authors of color um it it, it can be very hard to even be seen as an author writing a book or to get the same level of excitement and output that someone would get on TikTok. So one of the interesting things about TikTok is that it can be, for better or worse, an echo chamber. So one person starts to talk about a book and that book explodes and other people start to talk about it and it feeds on itself, right? And that algorithm can feed on certain types of books. And we find that certain types of books get a lot of publicity and other types of book get, uh, books are silent. And oftentimes that leans um, heavily on BIPOC books. And so one of the things that we felt was really important about the event that we were putting on a stimulant was like, hey, why don't we give everyone like something to do, right? It's very fun <laughs> that we're like all at this place having a drink, we're having a party. That's really fun. But why don't we leave with something? And so Adriana, queen of ideas, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, had this great idea to say, we should we should make them do something. <laughs> and so we, we um, thought like, 23 books for 23. And the reason why 23 was the number was because there are 23 participating authors who put in their time, their money, their effort to say, hey, like, let's do this. Um, They helped us launch this. And so we were super excited um, to add them to the list of 23 um, authors who were like, okay, uh, I believe in this. And so we're super excited to like, um, to have that program and the only I'll say the the rules aren't really complex but it's okay let me start with the story <laughs> <laughs> you're the perfect faded mates guest I know I was her up, last let week, her go she knows and I was doing. like <laughs> I was like let's get started with the book we're actually here to talk about at like the 30 minute mark mm-hmm. so right. I right. love it keep going um a while ago I um I had a brush with paleo. I was just like, I'm going to do paleo. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to be like super intentional. And the way that I was able to actually know like how many types of carbs that I was having was actually through counting. Like I had to like go onto a platform and see, otherwise you're just like, I cannot believe that brownie that I had had any carbs in it. <laughs> like, I, I personally don't buy it, right. but but some there's something about creating a register of kind of what you've done that, that shows you um, what you're doing and it creates intentionality. And so what what in that same way, 23 for 23 is this way to be intentional mm-hmm. about what you're reading. I know I pick up books and it can feel like popcorn, you know, yeah. and and if you don't turn around to say, what have I been reading? Um, you can get a sense that you're reading diversely even though all of the books have been, um, you know, Queen of My Heart, Ruby Dixon. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so that the the goal was to make sure that people were intentional about what they're reading. 
And then once you once you actually did read it, what are you doing now with that book, right? If you have a platform, if you've loved a book, how often do you um, nudge someone next to you to say, oh my gosh, are you reading this book? Here's another book that I like. Or if you have a platform, shout about it. Use the hashtag 23 for 23 to talk about how much you loved a book um, by BIPOC characters about BIPOC, by BIPOC authors about BIPOC characters. Mm. Um, it just, it does emits an amazing work and it adds to um, the echo chamber and it pushes the algorithm. And, and it right. also, what it also does, like this is another thing that people don't take into account is that it also affects the types of things that you then see mm-hmm. on the algorithm, right? right it affects the types of content that you see. So now you are now more aware of really cool BIPOC authors um, that are that are writing books and genres that you love. So it not only um, helps those authors, but it also um, creates a wider readership and gives you um, access to new and like really, really amazing authors. So yeah, read about it intentionally, shout about it, scream about it, whisper about it, and request it on your library, tell people in a book club. Um, review. And, and that's review. Right. Review. Yeah. Talk about it. Good reads it. Yeah. Five stars it, three stars it because you, um, you know, really wanted the other uh, villain. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, sure. Like, do, like, be active and intentional in BIPOC books. That activity matters. One of my favorite things about this is uh, only romance readers would have been like in August, like, sure, absolutely. I could read 23 more books this year. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I'm going to read 50. So I'm just like really setting some aside for like this particular project. But I agree. I mean, and I think, you know, for a really long time, the way that we like we need diverse books, I think, was one of the first organizations that really said like you have to be intentional Right. You have to like and and I think anybody who makes a list of like what they're reading knows the power of tracking. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's you know, it just makes sense to say, like, if this is something you want to be intentional about, then this is a good way to go about doing it. On 23for23.net, we have like all of these graphics that you can post to say, like, here's what I read. You can attach the hashtag to it. And hopefully that creates eyes as well. There's also a backlist of all of the 23 authors, like over 250 books. If you're looking for like, where do I start? All of that's on 23for23.net because we wanted to give people um, the resources and the ability to just do it easily. This week's episode of Fade Maze is sponsored by Diana Quincy, author of The Duke Gets Desperate. You know what I love more than anything, and I know you love it too, Sarah? People fighting over a rundown castle in Scotland. Oh my God. That's all I want. Why Why do I want to inherit? I want to inherit a dilapidated castle somewhere. And then I'm sure I would hate it from the beginning, from the jump, but that's what I want. Okay. Well, I want to just inherit the money to save the dilapidated castle together, right? <laughs> Um, Anthony Carey is the Duke of Strickland, and he has, you know, with his spendthrift father gone, he can finally um, restore the family castle to its former glory. Twelve generations of dukes have been living in this castle, but somehow his father secretly disentailed, I didn't even know he could do that, this castle and left it to his American stepmother. (gasps) Then... She dies under mysterious circumstances, and you can imagine the rumor mill is at high speed 
churning up all the gossip. Murdering his stepmother. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So along comes Raya Darwish. She has inherited her late cousin's castle in England and shows up, right? Perfect. Only to find Strick arguing that the castle is really his. This estate is practically bankrupt, so these two are going to have to figure it out together, and I bet their enemies-to-lovers vibe is going to turn into something else. Absolutely delicious. You know we love Diana Quincy's books here at the podcast, Um, and if you also love them, or you just love historical romance, or enemies-to-lovers, or very high-grade dirty talk, this is a book for you. You can read The Duke Gets Desperate in print, ebook, or audiobook. It is out Right now, it released yesterday. Happy release week to Diana, and thanks for sponsoring this week's episode. I Also on 23for23.net, there's a lot of information about why this is so important, right? Right. Um, right. Could we talk a little bit about, I mean, we know, we've talked on the podcast before about what's going on in publishing and gatekeeping and where the state of... BIPOC authorship and BIPOC characters in publishing. Tell our listeners a little about that piece of it, why it's inten- important to be intentional from the that side, the publishing side. There's so much information and data that publishing houses use to tell you your value and your worth as an author. So if pre-orders don't come in, then your um, marketing suffers. If people aren't excited in, in a sales meeting, then all of a sudden, then your book is pushed the um, 2073. Mm-hmm. Like there are all of these um, indications that your um, book is something to be excited about, how they treat it in sales, how they talk about it with other people in their team that creates the experience for this book. And there are so many authors of color, even when they um, when they publish this book and they are being kind of compared to you know, these kind of mega, mega bestsellers, they're they're also seen as somehow at fault if their book doesn't perform at the level of the mega bestsellers. And the publishers sometimes like sometimes want a pat on the back and a golden medal, presidential medal of freedom for even putting the book out, you know, to say like, look at what we've done. Look at us diverse. (laughs) (laughs) We've done it. We've done it. We've done it, folks. Now we don't have to do it again for years. <laughs> exactly. And so, like, even though there's a dearth of interaction um, in the way that someone would put out a a mega bestseller and the way that someone would put out someone who they that don't expect to really thrive. And that gap in attention, that that gap in interaction sometimes can be augmented by people talking about your book and being excited about your book even earlier and even after. So this becomes an opportunity to create visibility. And believe it or not, that visibility bounces back to those publishers to say, oh, this is someone we should be actually paying attention to and giving resources to. Hey, this is a story that people want to see. Let's acquire more of these. This is a story that did well. This is something that connected with people. Let's acquire more. Let's build more. Let's create some hype around this. And so it becomes this vicious and perhaps virtuous (laughs) cycle, (laughs) right? Mm Um, that um, that feeds into that process. And and this is us being intent, like putting our thumbs on the scales a little bit to say like, hey, what can we do to nudge the algorithm? What can we do to um, ensure that publishing knows that these are stories that people want to hear? And sometimes you have to just say, just do it, you know? <laughs> I mean, even for authors that are self-published, 
there is still value and virtue in doing this work, right? Because we know more than ever, many publishers are like looking to what sort of popular and self-publishing as the next kind of like uh, sure things they can acquire. So, you know, this this is not something that only matters for traditionally published books. It also matters for self-published books because these authors can get the win- the door's going to open for them if they are seen as successful in this space as well. That's absolutely that's absolutely right. So, let's get into it. Let's do some recommending, which is what we do. Yes. What what we do best here at Fate of Mates. <laughs> so, let's start first with Nikki Payne's Pride and Protest. Uh, oh my God. Which was is one of my favorite books, my favorite recent romances, a retelling of Pride and Prejudice, set in a modern day. Uh, it's a contemporary. The heroine is a, a, a social act, an activist. The hero is a real estate developer. It's about gentrification. <laughs> yeah. It's so hot and so fun <laughs> and so important. And it is surely up there in terms of one of the best Pride and Prejudice retellings there is. Um, I can say it. Nikki is going <laughs> to, you know, make noises, but I can say it. Yeah. You're allowed to say whatever I'm you want. just over here with my face <laughs> melting off. It's fine. So, Nikki, it's let's fine. talk a little bit about Pride and Protest. Where, tell us where it came from and, yeah, where did the story come from? Are you an Austin fan? Oh, okay, you guys, let me set the scene for you. Let's, let's draw the curtains. Okay. It's 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 1995. Year of our Lord, 1995. And I remember that year. What that happened? It was a good year. A BBC a year, year, one might say. It was a BBC. You know what? I see I see what you did there, Sarah. So it was a BBC year, but what also happened in my like 12-year-old brain, Clueless came out. Right. Sure. And this was like sure. a cultural phenomenon, like super yes. night, like as if, like it was just, it was everything. And it holds I found up out, too, by the way. That's it holds up. Oh yeah. Shockingly. It up. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is my, uh, like my unproblematic fave and mm-hmm. I just, I love it. And I was 12 years old and I realized that that was a, a retelling of Emma. And I was like, Emma, hmm, what are white people getting up to? <laughs> so, <laughs> Let me check I this start- out. <laughs> this out so um i started reading emma emma was my first it's great when you're young and then i read um pride and prejudice and then the bbc version the colin first the, it the, dropped that whole it dropped <laughs> and i'm just sitting there eight hours and my i'm like this better not awaken anything sexual in me <laughs> better not how'd that go um, for you nikki yeah, it, it did not let me tell you it's just like if you want to be unpopular in the hood just like show up with a jane austen book and a bonnet sure <laughs> yeah like, you know what not mean? that That's, kind of bonnet yeah exactly they're like not that bonnet that. <laughs> so just like start speaking like a jane austen heroine in greenspoint in houston texas it's not a look um so i just became just super obsessed with that story. And then as I grew up, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an anthropologist and I started studying like um, aesthetics okay, and wait, power. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. You grew up in Greenspoint in Houston? Yes, I did. Okay, because while you were having your 1995 waking, I was doing TFA in Houston in 1995. TFA? Yeah, I did it at Fonville Middle School. I'm like, really? Which is like, I think like up yes. by... I was like, okay, sorry. That- Are you? We have to talk. This is yeah, a yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay, separately. This. I know. Sorry. We have, to, we have to talk about growing up in Houston in the 90s. That's his own thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, in fact, grew up in Houston in the 90s. I was like 20, but I grew up for sure. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Um, Go ahead. No, no, that's incredibly compelling. Um, (laughs) And okay, so I started doing all this research. I have a PhD from Rice University in cultural anthropology. So I just went all in on the nerddom. And I started doing all this research on like aesthetics and power and like what we find beautiful and why we find it beautiful. And in doing all this research on, um, on dating apps and how people are interacting on dating apps. And what I found, interestingly enough, was that Black women and Asian men were like the least responded to on these apps. They were seen and perceived to have like the least sexual capital in these spaces because of perceptions about femininity and masculinity that have kind of taken over and we've internalized in our minds about like what is beautiful and what is feminine. And um, so when I thought about, I was writing this weird sci-fi book and it was getting a lot of no's and a lot of rejections. And I'm just like, you know what? Joy, only joy. And I just started writing about these characters and I was actively, you know, being very intentional to say like, what is, what would it mean to make these archetypically desired characters, right? A black woman and an Asian male. Like, what would it mean to say like, to make these um, characters who are burned in our brains as mm-hmm. desirable and witty and, and sexy and moody and hot. Darcy's the archetype for, for so many of folks, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Um, yeah. That what would it mean to kind of race them and gender them in these very specific ways? And so I started writing it out and I was just, I kept having fun and it's it kept being fun. And so I finished the book. And then I sent that out and it got a lot of attention. I was in pitch wars and like it was, it, it did really great. And I was like, wow, look at what happens when you write with joy and, you know, yeah. and intention. So, so Pride and Protest came out of that. I'm, I also live in DC. And so one of the hugest things um, that everyone talks about is the buildings coming up and the, 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 the folk in DC who, you know, live there for generations and generations. Um, DC is um, one of these cities that it's historically black after the war, a lot of Southern African-Americans went up to D.C. because of the protections of the federal government. And they um, came and kind of camped out there to say, like, OK, you freed the slaves and now, you know, you've done Reconstruction. We're going to do a thing. And because of that, D.C. is the uh, in the region around it is one of the areas of the largest, like kind of most affluent and stable black community really in the country. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the, the history of kind of Blackness in D.C. is really an interesting thing as well. To, um, and so, but that's changing, right? The, the demographics of that are changing as new buildings that are unaffordable kind of pop up. Sure. And so and that's I, happening I in to, so many cities. I live in New York City and, and Jen yeah. lives in Chicago, and it's a huge yeah. problem. So yeah. I was just reading this week, actually, that what, what's happening in Chicago is really interesting because poor Black people are leaving Chicago, but wealthy Black people are staying or moving into mm. Chicago. Right? And so it's like gentrification squared? I don't yeah. know. Right? Yeah. There's, there's like intersectionality there, right? Yeah. Like there's some, there's a real, like my husband and I, I'm from like, you know, grew up very poor and he's from this area and lived his life pretty upper middle class. And I'm like, we are, we are not the same. <laughs> like we are both African-Americans and we are struggling to relate, and, you know, on these real levels. And so, yeah, that, that that absolutely matters. A real Pride and Prejudice vibe. It re- honestly, <laughs> I, could, I could not say, I couldn't say it better. He's absolutely Mr. Dorsey. Just such a, such a snob. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. It's inter- I mean, all that stuff's really interesting. Like, my, I mean, my husband's parents were far more, like, middle class than my mom. Like, right? Like, they, they he was a banker. He, 
her, his mom's a banker and his dad was like an accountant and like worked at big oil and then like worked for the city of Houston. And so, you know, like I was like, my mom's a single mom, like raising the three of us on a shoestring. And a lot of people will assume because I'm white that like I'm the one that has a more middle class background. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's just not really the case. Right. 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 So. There are complexities there. And that's one of the things that I loved about like writing Dorsey as this Asian male is that he's this um, this person with all of this agency and and money is oftentimes in romances it's just code for how this person can move about in the world sure. right and power they, yeah power exactly and he has a, a ton of agency but sometimes just visually that agency is um taken away or assumed to be the the other thing because of that intersectionality that he's seen um because of the way he looks and his association with that there's this tension between him always having to prove that he belongs in these rooms and in these spaces. I mean, even Lisa, who sees him in, in the context of her own neighborhood, when she um, introduced, when she meets him, she's like, you know, this is this is someone from my neighborhood, and she proceeds to tell him her entire her entire plan <laughs> yeah. because she assumes she assumes connection when there is mm-hmm. none, you know. And it's really really sexy well and we are gonna have nikki (laughs) on in the spring because book two you want to do a little quick preview of what's coming your next book is coming out is it february february 13th what a date what a date just in time for cuffing season Okay. (laughs) okay just imagine like two sisters wildly different temperaments find out at their father's funeral, that they are the outside children. And everything that they had, their little comfortable life in Montgomery County, D.C., is just, is gone and is dead. And the only thing that they have to their name is this dilapidated inn in Maine. I love it in so Maine. much. In Maine. <laughs> Why just, am I such a sucker for this story? Just, <laughs> there are no Black people in Maine. And that was their None. first thing. And they were, they, were, they were like, okay, we can't do this. And as soon as they get there, um, there is a an indigenous hero, an eco-tourist. I mean, who, he leads eco-tourists, um, who has kind of essentially said, this land is mine, right? And so there's <laughs> this very interesting um, and very sexy, just oh, so piney. It's so, it's so much piney. Um, also uh, the it, Great North Woods, I suppose. The also Great piney. North Woods. Come on. Oh, look at what you... Oh, look at you, Jen. So clever. <laughs> This is listen, this early on a record. Saturday. This is my yes. time. I'm like, oh, press <laughs> it on. That's when I'm sharpest, everybody. I'm sharp. <laughs> so these these sisters, Nora in particular, um, they have to revamp this in. The clock is running, and they couldn't possibly fall in love. They don't have time for that. Certainly not with a man who runs eco tours. Oh, goodness. not with an indigenous <laughs> Abenaki hero. Wow, wow. Cannot. So, wait, what's that one called? So we can it's all called sex, re-order. lies, and sensibility. Sex, lies, and sensibility. Sex, lies, and nice. Sensibility. So yeah. you're going to come back on for a full episode. We'll talk about all of that. We'll talk we're about, gonna, you know what I want do. you to come on for, Nikki? Here's, um, I want you to come on and we'll do home renovation. We'll do renovation <gasps> romance. Oh my gosh, can yes, we please because, do that? Yes, yes. because so, I Amazing. can recommend so many. Yes. So many. <laughs> so get ready. It. Everyone, yes. Nikki's coming back, and we're going to do Reno Romance then. Reno Romance genius. <laughs> no one loves real estate like a romance. Like nobody. No. Nobody. No details. Yeah, no details. right? All those oh. historicals where heroines inherit castles. 
Yes. I mean, always. Listen, and there's so to, many. They always have to revamp them. Must. <laughs> Must. And there's always like some broody hero in the background. He's right. Like, gumming like, things up. Like hammer. We <laughs> didn't meet the cousins. You know, just always. <laughs> guys. Guys. <laughs> Can't wait. It's going to be yes. super fun. All right. So oh, that's, that's scheduled. And yes. this is amazing. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks for coming on and talking about 23 for 23. We're so excited about the project. We're going to do our best to scream about it, promote it, and make sure people participate. So I love that. Thank you you so much. Yes, you will. Okay, I'm literally adding another book that just came to me (laughs) onto the list. (laughs) This is why we can't be contained. We cannot be contained. Sports center saying we're we're like um right. Did I did you know that sometimes Victoria calls me a mom soon? That is honestly perfect. That's what we're a book soon. We're a, a force soon. of nature. We are. <laughs> we are hurricane faded mates. She goes, oh no, it's mom soon. <laughs> that is, I can't even. Listen, this kid. It's perfect. It's too much. It's perfect. I love it. Okay. The best way to look at these titles, everybody, is going to be to go to the page for this week's episode. We might be talking about books so fast that, like, the image won't necessarily change with every book. I'm not sure. It might be too much to do that. So we're going to talk about contemporaries first, but we'll I'll make sure we get them in order um, on the photo array on the website. So the best thing to do if you're kind of like, wait, what was that book again, is to head over to fadedmates.net. And to look at this week's uh, page, and then you'll be able to see all of the books that we discuss. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Pippa Grant, author of The Gossip and the Grump. Okay, so Sabrina Sullivan is going through it, um, but she has had a pretty great one-night stand, Jen. There's nothing to complain about there. (laughs) And during this one-night stand, this, like, very sensitive soul... She spilled her secrets to him. She told him all about her family cafe, which she loves more than anything, which she's wanted to be hers. She's wanted to run this business since she was a baby for 30 years. It's now been sold out from under her, and the new owner is going to renovate it for revenge against her family. I'm not sure what a revenge renovation entails, but I am definitely curious. You know what? I don't care. I want it. Anyway, so she turns up. She leaves her one night stand. A week later, she meets the new owner. And would you believe, Jennifer? I would believe. The new owner is the same man who rocked her world all those evenings ago. So now here we are. We've got a, a very big grump who really just wants to do revenge and a gossipy uh, girl who he can't seem to stop thinking of who just might be the wrench in those plans. I love it. So if you want to find out more about Gray and Sabrina and what they're going to get up to, you can find this with your monthly subscription to Kindle Unlimited. It's also available in audio. And as a special treat for Faded Mates listeners, stick around at the end of this episode for an audio sample of The Gossip and the Grump on this, the longest episode of the year. (laughs) Thank you to Pippa Grant for sponsoring this week's episode. So, where are we starting, Sarah? All right, I don't know. Where do you want to begin? Oh, it's, uh, wait, do you want to talk about Jessica Pride's Black Love Matters first? Yes, that is a great place to start. Um, So, Black Love Matters, no, Black Love Matters is an anthology, a literary collection of essays um, about romance, 
Being Seen and Happily Ever After, edited by Jessica Pride, who many of you probably know from Book Riot. Um, and also, Jess is a librarian. And it is a collection of essays by Black romance authors um, about a variety of different sort of intersectional topics about uh, relating to Black romance and the publication of Black romance and why Black romance is important. Yeah, it's great. And this is a really cool book that you should definitely check out. Um, I'm sure your library has a copy and it's just like, a. It's I love a book of essays because I feel like you can just kind of read one at a time or dip in and out of the ones that you think are interesting. Mm-hmm. And these are like some of our, our most like, loom, I mean, these are like loom, the luminaries of black romance, a lot of these women and, and also men. So this is a really great romance, uh, like a great way to like sort of frame kind of your knowledge and understanding of like black romance and the work that it's doing out there in the world. So. All right. A okay. good beginning. A so good let's beginning. start. We're going to start with contemporary, right? Yes. All right. Let's see. You're up. Yes. It's you, you're first. Of course, that's absolutely how it should be, everybody. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start. Age before beauty. Yeah, I'm actually going to start with Kosoko <laughs> Jackson, who wrote one of the essays in Black Love Lab. Black Love matters. Sorry. So I'm so not over you is a romance set during a wedding. Um, and what happens is we have uh, Kian, I think, is it Andrews? I would say Alexander. Kian Al- Andrews um, has heard from his ex-boyfriend, hasn't heard from his ex-boyfriend in months, but then all of a sudden gets this like text kind of out of nowhere that's like, hey, you know, what's up? And he is, you know, kind of been hoping they would reconcile. And so instead, Kian is essentially asking Hudson to basically pretend to be his boyfriend while his parents are in town. So, you know, they're worried that Kian is, a, you know, like doesn't have someone in his life and they want him to be happy. And also there is a big society wedding for Kian's, I think it's his sister. Either way, it's like a big deal. And so Hudson and Kian are going to go to this big wedding And, you know, like, this is, like, the wedding of the season in Georgia. And so it's kind of, like, not only kind of putting up airs to, like, make the family happening, but also it's going to give Kian the opportunity to, like, kind of get in with that crowd that's going to be the people that can, like, make his journalism career really sing. So it's kind of, like... I don't know. I, I feel like what in a fake dating situation, you really have to have some both. It's clear what both people are getting out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that Kosoko does a great job with this. So that is I'm so not over you. All right. So now I think we should play a game where we try to connect. Oh, I like that. I like All that. Right. Game. Yes. So my next because you said a uh, romance at a wedding, that's low hanging fruit. So yes. um, oh, shit. It's not that one. <laughs> Wait, maybe I don't think that we should do that. <laughs> I have another romance at the wedding. You want me to do it? And then we'll just. Um, no, I've got. Yeah. No, I've got one. You've All got right. one. So I just wasn't. I thought I knew I was recommending somebody, but I apparently am recommending a different book by that person. Um, <laughs> it's not at a wedding. Uh, okay. So I want to talk about Andy Christopher, a friend of the pod. Yes. Um, Andy's. So this is romance that is wedding adjacent. Um, I want to talk about Thank You Next, in which the heroine, Andy's books always start with these, like, huge, high-concept, very fun ideas. 
And the idea of this one is the heroine uh, is home. She's a divorce lawyer. She comes home from like the worst day of her life at work um, where she has been like, she's finished a divorce and then the terrible husband, ex-husband has hit on her. Like, it's just all gross. She comes home. She pours herself a glass of wine. She turns on Say Yes to the Dress. And right there on Say Yes to the Dress is her last boyfriend with his new bride. Oh, no. And it turns out this is one in a long line of ex-boyfriends who leave her and then immediately get married to someone else. So... She decides that she's going going on a cross-country road trip <laughs> to meet with all of these ex-boyfriends uh, and figure out what exactly is wrong with her. Why not her and the next and instead the next girl. Um, and she goes with a man who has always had a little bit of a thing for her, um, but also seems to have been not the hero, always the heroine's bridesmaid and never her bride. So uh, this is a really fun one. Andy's wonderful. You, you've heard her on the podcast before. So fun. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy this one. Perfect. Okay. You said. That's Thank you. Next by Andy Christopher. You said attorney. So <gasps> I did say attorney. I know. No one loves an attorney like romance. Okay. So, um, I have the year of Cecily by Lisa Lynn. Oh, that's a fun one. This is a fun one. And so this is um, got big Lunar New Year vibes because Cecily Chang is is a San Francisco attorney who, you know, like in her professional life is like got it all together. But she has made a list of resolutions that's going to that are going to going to like reboot everything, get everything kind of correct in her life. But she also has to make her sort of like dutiful visit home to uh, Brooklyn to where her, she grew up um, to celebrate Lunar New Year with her family. And of course, like this has its own set of complications, right? So there's, you know, all the family drama that comes with being with the family. Her mom is really kind of meddling and can be a little critical. And she, you know, but she's kind of like, look, I'm going to have a good time. I'll be a family. Like she's going to just stay calm as long as she doesn't. And I love this in the blurb, as long as she doesn't see him and oh, him. No is Jeffrey Lee. And 10 years ago, um, he kind of broke her heart and did it in a not so great way. And so she has basically just been like, I'm, he's dead to me, which I really love. Like talk about, look, Cecily has kept him in cold storage for a solid decade and he Mm -hmm. deserved it. And so, um, he's a successful screenwriter now and he thinks the time is right to win her back. But he is not on her list of resolutions for rebooting her life. So um, we'll see what's going to happen between these two. This is the first book in a series. The second one, The Rachel Experiment, is also out now. Nice. Well, you said family drama. (laughs) So I am going to talk about Sabrina Soul's Delicious Temptation, um, which is the first in her Delicious Desire series, which all focuses on food. Um, there's a celebrity chef in the second one. It's really mm-hmm. um, so, but I want to talk about the first one. So Amara Maria is a very good girl, and she um, has always done exactly what is right. She had this like long lifelong childhood to you know young adulthood dream that she wanted to be a pastry chef, but she put that all on hold because her parents were struggling with their bakery, their Mexican bakery, and she realized, like, she couldn't go off and be a pastry chef. She needed to go home and, like, work in the bakery and help her parents because um, she's a good kid and she, 
you know, sacrificed mm-hmm. for that. Um, but uh, she, so she's home and sort of, you know, in this place and her brother's very sexy ex-best friend, Eric, arrives on the scene after a 12-year departure because he sort of caused some drama years and years ago. He is no longer best friends with her brother because they have fallen apart or they have fallen out. And he's back and he's ready to make amends. Um, But nobody is necessarily like interested in doing that with him. He's going to have to do some work and, and, and fight the fight here. Um, The problem is one of the ways that you do not make amends with your ex-best friend is being super horny for his sister. (laughs) No, that doesn't ever work. That is against the best friend reconciliation rules. (laughs) And so it's all very, very messy, Um, but delicious. So that's Sabrina Soul's Delicious Temptation. Okay, you said restaurant, so I have. You have um, a restaurant book, Jen. I know, weird for me, but this is, it is Chicago, so I like sort of, I made it Oh, I, I see. A proposal they can't refuse by Natalie Kenya. And this oh, is, this a, yeah, this is great. So this is, she, um, Camila Vega has a, like a, it's essentially like kind of, there was a family restaurant that she grew up with, a Puerto Rican restaurant. And she has essentially, like, brought it back to life, right? So she's going to enter into this fall foodie tour. And, you know, there's been a lot of gentrification in her neighborhood. So that's, like, very real. And so this is a way to, like, sort of, like, kind of keep the restaurant alive and afloat. And the problem is that her grandfather um, is determined to essentially is, like, going to blackmail her and say that if she wants to change anything in the restaurant – she has to marry, of course, her enemy, um, Liam Kane. And his grandfather and her grandfather are, like, best friends. And so they are, like, hatching this plot to marry their grandkids off to each other. Um, Liam runs a distillery, right? And he is, again, like, about to kind of make it big when the, his grandfather is basically like, if you don't marry her, then I'm going to, you know, we're going to sell these buildings and that's what they want. So these two really feel like they have no other option but to enter into sort of a fake engagement to like throw off the grandfathers. And um, yet somehow they find they don't mind being together all that much, even though they thought they hated each other. So this is a terrific book. Um, And again, if you love a restaurant or if you love Chicago or if you just love meddling grandfathers, a proposal they can't (laughs) refuse. This week's episode of Fade Mates is sponsored by Lumi Labs, creators of microdose gummies. So everybody, you've heard us talk about these great gummies before. All of us here on the podcast really love them. Um, and if you are kind of curious about microdosing and you're you're kind of not sure, one of the things to do is just like head over to the internet and check out microdose.com and you can find out information about how you can use THC to you know, kind of give yourself that creative boost or just like your ability to enjoy the moment. Um, I use them for sleep or sometimes like workout recovery, Um, especially because I'm getting a little older. Sometimes my hips or my joints. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Relaxation. Like do not, if you, if you are feeling anxious in this world that we live in, same. And exactly. A gummy when your mom comes to visit isn't the worst (laughs) choice. (laughs) Uh, a little too personal, but uh, agree. So, I mean, like, for example. For, for example. So, 
you could check out, go to, again, microdose.com, and you can find out all of the great benefits of microdosing, including at your for your first order, use the code FADEDMATES to get free shipping and 30% off. Um, we would love to have you check out these great gummies. We love Lumi Labs and their awesome products. They come in lots of great flavors. Once again, you can use the code FADEDMATES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order of microdose gummies. Thanks, as always, to Lumi Labs for sponsoring this week's episode. You said fake dating, and so I am going to go to marriage of convenience from that, which is sort of the same thing. <laughs> so we're going to talk about uh, Tracy Livesey's Tycoon's Socialite Bride. We have talked a lot about Tracy Livesey over the years, and I'm sure we've talked about this book, but it is not one of the ones we often talk about, so you should go do this one. Um, this is the first in her In Love with a Tycoon series. And here's the vibe on this one. Um, the the hero is out for revenge. Everybody loves this. His mother has been um, severely sort of wronged by her upper crust employer. Mm. And so Marcus, the hero, who also happens to be a real estate tycoon because – of course, um, he decides that he is going to infiltrate this like family and their world and like take down this man who has wronged his mom. Um, and so to do that, uh, he strikes a deal with um, with the heroine, Pamela. And Pamela is there because she wants to she has like a, a whole separate thing where she wants to um she wants to save her, uh, like a particular kind of. She has a she has a cause that she's really into, and she wants to like um, to help him. She wants him to help her like fund it and and get more attention for it. And he's like a superstar real estate tycoon. So they uh, agree to a kind of a tentative agreement that involves a marriage of convenience, because <laughs> if he marries into her into like this like upper echelon family, she comes from this like very fancy family. And if he marries into that family, he has access to, like, his path to revenge. Of course, it all gets twisted up. Pamela gets uh, is part of this revenge plot without even really knowing. She's an unsuspecting piece of it. And uh, then he realizes that, like, if he gets revenge, he loses her, which is my very favorite realization of any hero ever. <laughs> and uh, it, it all goes from there. And you perfect. can obviously tell why I think this book is freaking great. Okay, so I have, um, you said like billionaires and rich people or whatever. Okay, so in Yours for Now by Leonor Solitz, uh, Solis, sorry, um, Gabe is like sort of our handsome billionaire guy. Um, and um, the heroine has to like team up with him for like a work thing. Um, so this is like the opportunity of a lifetime. And if she kind of plays all her cards right, she'll be able, she hopes, to run her own family's business. But they are, you know, they just think she should like settle down and have babies. And, you know, they don't understand why she, you know, kind of wants to play against like sort of the gender roles in her um, in her family. So she is like, I'm not going to let anything come between me and these career plans. And so she and Gabe essentially like kind of agreed to like a kind of a fake dating situation that's really not real. It's just like a almost like a front to keep her family out of it. Um, but then she actually falls in love with him. And so she's like, now what am I going to do? Do I like stay with him and prove them right? 
right? Or is there a way that I can like sort of keep my eyes on the ball of what I wanted, which was, you know, having this amazing career that I think is going to make me really happy. So this is um, really fun. And it just, this one just came out like a couple weeks ago. So what is it, Jen? Say it again. Oh, sorry. It is called Yours for Now by Leonor Solis. Okay. You said family business. So I'm going to talk about Leslie's Curl and Die um, by D.L. White, which is the first in her Potter Lake uh, series. So this is super cute. Um, Leslie is the owner of a, a hair salon in this small town. And um, she, and part of what I love so much about this book is much, mu- like much of the book is set in the hair salon with like all the characters from the right. hair salon are like in it and, and like a delight to watch. So she has this family hair salon. She inherited it from her mother who inherited it from her grandmother. Um, so it's like, a dev- she, there is a devoted community of people who who go to this hair salon. And um, all of a sudden they start to realize that like one, their side of the neighborhood, their side of the, side of the small town is kind of losing business and like businesses are closing. And there's this like hotter, newer side of the town, which is where businesses are opening up and like getting more foot traffic and more attention. And there in that place, uh, on that other side, is a brand new hair salon named Guys and Dolls, um, which is opened by this guy, Casey, who she's known forever. Like, they've known each other for a long time. And back in the day, in, like, a million years ago, they had, like, one wild night. And uh, Kate actually, I think, took her virginity. I can't remember. But, like, it was intense. And then in the morning, he was, like, in the wind. And so, listen... This is a great setup for a romance, but now they're sort of competing. There's a, like, uh, so, you know, he's, there's this sort of sense that, like, he's stealing her clientele because he's got all this, like, fancy stuff and he's ruining this, like, old institution. And there's a lot of, like, beautiful intersectionality here with, like, you know, how it all comes to pass with this, like, um, business, the the sort of class and the business and like old tradition versus, you know, yeah. something new and fresh. And it's, uh, it's great. So that is Leslie's Curl and Die, which is like a second chance romance. Okay. D.L. White. So you said second chance. I have um, a cute little novella by my friend Nicole Falls called Noel the First. And this is, like, a little out of season because it's Christmassy, but it has a setup, which I was, like, I remember as a kid being really fascinated by the idea that your birthday could be on Christmas Day, Mm, right? Like, I was always, like, well, you have work. Yeah, how's that work, right? And Kelly's birthday is really close to Christmas, and it was always, like, a big deal. People are always trying to, like, combine the gifts and all that business, Mm -hmm. and she just hated it. And so in Noel the first, Noel his Noel's birthday is actually on Christmas Day. And as you know, it starts off, it has the first line of this book is, I hated Christmas. Right. So when she was a kid, she thought it was great to like, you know, share her birthday with sweet baby Jesus. But um now as an adult, it's just like this thing that she has to get through. And the um and what happens is her old friend Jay kind of um, comes back to town 
And he is kind of, he's like moved back after a breakup and he's kind of like, I'm going to get back with my, you know, they were like childhood best friends. And so um, they, I don't, if I'm remembering correctly, they did not really date in the past. Like it just like never was the right time. Mm -hmm. But now they're like, but they were like best friends. And so he cooks up this big scheme to, like, sort of, like, bring the Christmas spirit back to her. And, like, her sisters it begins with them, like, on a bar crawl. And she's just like, I want off this ride. And so it's got, like, a lot of the whole, like, family, friends, everything happening in your face vibe. And because it's a novella, it's just, like, a super short, sweet read. Um, so will she get back together with Jay? Um, how will these old friends find each other? Oh. Okay, uh, so second chance still. Um, I want to talk about Uzman Jalaluddin's uh, Much Ado About Nada, which um, is set in the same Crescent City uh, area of Toronto as uh, Hana Khan carries on. Um, Nada is uh, an engineer who is on the cusp of 30, whose family is kind of like, it's time for you to get <laughs> out there and find yourself um, a family, a man and a family. And um, her, she has this kind of, she's been working forever on this app, this dating app that's sort of failing. And she's like in a place, poor Nada. Um, but her best friend is like, hey, why don't we, you know, you need to get out of here. You need to break free of like these, like, you know, the the like doldrums of daily life. Why don't you come with me to this like weekend and, you know, we'll go and we'll hang out. And oh, by the way, um, this guy from our childhood, Baz, will be there, and um, it'll be so fun. We'll get to see. We'll get to see him. What nobody knows is that as they age, they started to really like fall for each other, and it's like it's beautiful. There are flashbacks to these moments where they were falling in love, and it's so beautiful. And then, of course, like it all falls apart. This is a retelling of Jane Austen's Persuasion, and so you know it takes a long time for them to come back around to. Uh, meeting each other and rediscovering each other, but also discovering that they never stopped caring for one another. So it's really, this one's so romantic. You all know how much I love Uzma's books and um, it really does the job, especially because there's so much secret keeping in this one. And, mm. um, and also Uzma is incredibly, she's an incredibly funny writer. And so all the other characters are just hilariously funny in the mix. So. That's Much Ado About Nada by Uzma Jalaluddin. Okay. So you said like a character kind of in a situation, right? <laughs> so I am going to do Mickey Chamber Shakes It Up by Cherish Reed. Uh, this book is really fun. And so basically Mickey Chambers is, um, I don't know, she's in her like early 30s. She's like an adjunct teaching literature or like, you know, English composition or whatever classes. And so, you know, it's, like, really hard for her to make ends meet. You know, she's not really a full-time employee anywhere. And she has, you know, kind of, like, medical needs that I think are, like, it's not, like, the center of the story at all. It's just, like, a part of her life and, like, kind of what she has to go through. Um, the book starts, like, she ends up at her parents' house. And, you know, because she's kind of, like, it's a free meal. And everyone kind of, like, you can tell is a little, like, why can't she get it together, right? And so she ends up picking up a job as a bartender, even though she's never been a bartender before. <laughs> and the the owner, Diego Acosta, essentially is just like a total stress ball. He 
Um, his wife has died. He's really worried. He's like running her bar into the ground. He's in his early 40s, but going back to college part time. And so he's basically like, what am I doing? And then you've got Mickey, who is just like super sunny and sexy. And the college thing is like she's a pro ad and she um, turns out to be the teacher of his online writing class. So um, this is like a whole complication that neither of them really expected, but they cannot stay away from each other. And it is delightful. It's a great, great book. I loved it. All right. Well, you said the magic words. I sure did. I Like, I just gave you the widest opening. You did. You said teacher. <laughs> you said professor at college. Um, as you all know, that is a taboo that I really enjoy. And because of that, I want to talk about QB Tyler, who is like, if you love a taboo romance the way I love a taboo romance, QB Tyler is definitely for you. She's got professor students. She's got stepfathers. She's got, you know, she, there is nothing this woman will not write and super sexy. So I want to talk today, though, about Always Been You, um, which is a real taboo one. Um, these two are step, are adopted siblings. He's, a, I know. It's All a right. lot. Keep Headphones going. in, everyone. <laughs> There's also age gap here. Um, he's 11 years older than her. And uh, his, so he's like basically out of the house by the time she's uh, been adopted, which I think is the only way you can really pull this off with an age gap. Um, and so um, she has had a crush on him since she was like 13. But he, of course, has not even noticed that she existed until she is Sure, fine. Of an age, which is good. Um, And it's a, I would call this erotic, an erotic romance. It's very spicy, very taboo. QB Tyler is, that's what you're going there for. You really can't go wrong here. If you're looking for a great, like, one-handed read, she's your, she's your girl. Um, She also kind of knows, you know what I would say about these books? She really knows the job in terms of, like, hitting you, like, at that, like, reptilian brain. (laughs) part where you're just like, yeah, I love it. I'm for it. I want to eat it with a spoon. Um, So enjoy. If you've never tried QB Tyler, you are about to enter like a world of of excitement. You can really choose any book by her and find like the kink that you're most into. She's she's definitely probably done it. So um, enjoy. That is uh, always been you. And it's like basically like long time faded mates. So I um, want to talk about uh, Jana Goes Wild by Farrah Heron, um, which I think will, I don't know, long time love, I guess. I'm not sure what the connection is, except that I love this book and any chance I can to talk about it. Um, I feel like this is probably one of the best second chance romances I've literally ever read, right? Like, okay. so they had a like a brief fling like 10 years earlier just like it was just hot and sexy they were so into each other and she ends up getting pregnant (gasps) and um at the same time finding out that they cannot be together and so she goes back to Toronto and um he is really determined to be a part of their daughter's life so he moves to Toronto and essentially is like kind of like this distant planet orbiting her and she just finds that really annoying and now they are at a destination wedding um in tanzania that's like all at the serengeti and uh he's there and she's kind of and he's 
she doesn't realize that he has basically been pining for her for like this decade and just wants to be back with her and wants to know like essentially like it can't what can I do like I am still in love with you and I know I screwed up and it's just so good I feel like the like I said, the the emotional complexity, the way that they interact with families, her understanding of like kind of who he was then versus who he is now and that about herself. Um, this is, I think, a spectacular book. I just think it's so good. So that's so, Jana Goes Wild by Farrah Heron. Okay. So you said, uh, identity, you said who he was then versus who he is now. And um, while this isn't a long term, this isn't a second chance, and we don't know these characters from a long ago, this is about change. So I want to talk about Mia Sosa's Unbuttoning the CEO. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So this is like there's this billionaire CEO hero, and he gets picked up for too many speeding tickets. And okay. he goes in to, you know, court, and the judge is like, I'm sick and tired of you like, rich dudes getting off, like, you know, (laughs) getting away with this stuff. So you are, I'm sentencing you to six months of community service. Um, But he doesn't want anybody to know, like, he's such a big deal that he doesn't want anybody to know that, like, he is doing community service or where he's doing it. So um, he chooses this nonprofit organization that brings technology to, like, low-income communities. And uh, he goes in, like, to basically intern for free for this nonprofit. And the head of the C- of the organization doesn't know who he is. And so she, but he, she knows he's, like, a hotshot and, like, clearly kind of a bro. And <laughs> she instantly hates him. Like, and so... Uh, she, but of course, like he's also super hot and she's like, oh no, <laughs> I have, I'm feeling pants feelings and also irritation feelings. Um, but then because it's Mia, right? Like they have this like very sexy push pull. And when they finally, you know, let themselves fall into, you know, whatever he realizes, like he could have really just screwed up because, he hasn't told her who he really is. And this nonprofit is on the line. Yeah. And so um, she doesn't want anybody to feel, so like he realizes like he can't, should he tell her, should he not tell her? And then if he does tell her, what's the fallout from that? Because suddenly, um, you know, she's sleeping with a billionaire and yeah. that that changes everything when you run a nonprofit. Yeah, so sure. Yes. <laughs> it's really great. Mia is so fun. She has such a great voice. Um, if you've read her rom-coms, you will love this. It's not quite as calmy, but very, very rommy. <laughs> okay. And that's For it. a minute, I really wish right now I could be like, I have a story about a communist in Russia, but I don't, everybody. <laughs> I have a commie. No, I'm kidding. All right. So, Sarah, once we, so then we, I think what we're going to do next is we're going to go to historical. Oh, right. Right. Well, and we'll now, talk about these together. Yeah. And Sarah is going to kind of take lead on this section because I'm going to take lead on the section that comes after. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, we have, so we have a few historicals. Um, I wish just period, just, I want to put out there that I, there, there, there need to be more. There need to be more BIPOC historicals. We didn't do Toy Runners. Do you want to do that at the end? Well, we're going to do it in fantasy, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Okay. Sorry. Um, Okay. 
So I'm going to start. I'm just going to go down the line. I'm going to start with Liana De La Rosa. Perfect. Anna Maria and the Fox, uh, which just came out. Did it come out this year? Is that this year book? Yes, it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Listen, this is a hero that all my romance, my historical romance girlies love because Gideon Fox elevated himself from the London gutters to basically become a MP, a, a British politician. Um, and he is clever and shrewd and perfect in every way. Um, and he is uh, working to secure the votes for a measure to abolish uh, the Atlantic slave trade once and for all. Um, so that has that has put him in the in the orbit of Anna Maria, the titular Anna Maria, um, who is there, who is in London right now seeking refuge from the French occupation of Mexico. And these two have very different, they have very different pasts. They are, they're both sort of working toward a similar thing, but they do not have time for each other. Um, and of course, when two characters and historicals don't have time for each other, that is absolutely when they are going to be forced to interact with each other. But basically what ends up happening is there's like a villain who is trying to go against kind of everything that Gideon is working for. He's got Anna Maria in his, in his target. And um, Gideon has no choice but to sort of throw his power behind her to keep her safe um, and potentially sacrifice his own goodwill in Parliament. Um, but of course, it's romance, so it all works out. I bet it's all going to work out. For it all, it's all going to work out. <clears throat> Yeah, it's great. So that is Anne Marie and the Fox. Oh, I'm still going. Yes. So let's keep going. <laughs> it's just me. It's just yes. the Sarah show. All right. I want to talk about Jeannie Lynn. We've had Jeannie on the podcast. We've talked about uh we have a lot of books by her that we love. I want to talk about the Lotus Palace very quickly. If you love a romantic suspense and you're like, yes. I wish I had a romantic suspense to read, this one is for you. Mm-hmm. This is set in uh Tang Dynasty, China, like most of Jeannie's books. Um, at a place called the Lotus Palace, which is a kind of like, uh, like um, a salon, like a literary <laughs> salon slash uh, courtesan run kind of brothely thing. It's it's all things. It's right. like where smart people come and hang out and also have sex. Right? Um, the, listen, I wish I had one of those places. <laughs> um, so the heroine is. Um, she is not a courtesan. She is a servant to a courtesan. And she sort of lives in the quiet in these places. But um, she has been noticed. I love it when, they've, when they're when they noticed. I love it. Noticing is the best. She's been noticed by this kind of like flirty hero named Bai Huang. And um, he, there is a murder afoot. A murder happens and, it, and uh, the heroine's sister is... Um, blamed for it. And she knows her sister is innocent and she must help to exonerate her sister. And in order to do that, she needs help. And so she she asks this very brilliant kind of hero-y, this, this very brilliant hero by to help her exonerate her sister and solve the mystery. So um, it's very suspensey. There's always something, there's, you know, danger afoot. And these two are falling for each other, even as they are concerned for their lives, which is yeah. always a really I fun think Jeannie danger was such a really great, like, historical romantic suspense, which I feel like is uh, rare. Right. Like, it's so good. They're, and 
yeah, her most recent books, I think, also kind of fall into that category. Yeah. Um, we've talked about Rebel Carter before, but I always think she's worth recommending in the historical world. Heart in Hand is my favorite. It's a, a mail-order bride heads off into the American West and only to discover that she has been summoned to, like, a town in the West by not one, but two husbands um, who would like for her to be both of their wives. And um, it's sexy and great. So, yes. that's it. That's just a quick one. <laughs> um, the Duke Gets Desperate is brand new from Diana Quincy. Um, the, this one is for anybody who really, I mentioned this exact plot on the, on our interview with, um, with, uh, Nikki, because I really love it when a heroine inherits a castle. (laughs) And, uh, this one is about a heroine who, Raya, who, an Arab, an Arab American woman who inherits a rundown castle in the English countryside, turns up and clashes directly with a random duke who insists, no, she did not inherit this castle because he inherited this castle. Ooh, boy. So, uh, but unfortunately for both of them, this castle is pretty much bankrupt. And so they have to work together to make some money off this big heap of rocks <laughs> in the middle of England. Amazing. Um, you know Diana's books are wildly sexy and super duper fun and that one is out in fact this week it came out yesterday perfect uh kiana alexander's a radiant soul is my next one have you read this one jen Mm -mm. no i don't think so okay this is a novella that was originally published a million years ago in the daughters of a nation anthology which i think was published oh no it was self-published um, and it had a collection of, of authors, including Alyssa Cole and Lena Hart and Piper Hewley and Kiana. And Kiana's is one of my favorite um, novellas from that book. And you can get it by itself. Uh, it's called A Radiant Soul. And this one is so great because all of these novellas were very political. But this one um, is set in 1881 in North Carolina. And the heroine, Sarah, is visiting... Uh, North Carolina from the Wyoming Territory because she is a vocal, vocal advocate for suffrage, for women's suffrage. Um, And she has sort of kept this a secret from her family and friends, but now she is back east and she is um, figuring out like how she can help with suffrage uh, on the East Coast. Uh, She runs into the hero who is a very, very vocal advocate for, he works with the Sons of the Diaspora, and he is working to enforce the 15th Amendment post-war, right? So they are obviously like super into each other because brains and brilliance, right? But Owen kind of has this moment where he's like, hang on a second, if you're working for suffrage and I'm working for the 15th Amendment... Are, is your work distracting from my work, right? So this is this really fascinating, like, intersection of, it's it's this intersection of, like, how social justice works, how social justice gets layered, why we need everybody pulling on different strings in the same way. Cool. Um, and, of course, they fall in love because of, they're both because so of course. incredibly passionate about everything. It's great. Amazing. So that's a radiant soul. And then finally, 
I'm I'm sneaking this one in. I want to talk about Kennedy Ryan's reel, which Perfect. is actually sort of a contemporary, but also has these this like Harlem Renaissance script that's yeah. written through it. So, so cool. Kennedy's so clever. Um, it's a contemporary romance about an actress and a director who are working together on this like passion project. Um, where about a love story set in the Harlem Renaissance. And it's really beautiful because in classic Kennedy fashion, she's doing like 17 different things at once. Um, But the love story that she writes into the script is this like lush Harlem Renaissance love story, which there should be more Harlem Renaissance love stories because I bet like there's just so much rich. I know, right? Meat food to feed on there. (laughs) Um, So head over to Real. Also, if you like Kennedy and you like me, and you want to come to, uh, and you live anywhere near Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Kennedy and I are doing this very cool thing at the um, bookmark, with Bookmarks, uh, the bookstore there, where we are going to be with the symphony, the, the like, oh my Winston-Salem gosh. symphony. That's so cool. I know. The symphony has put together, an, an, the, the orchestra has put together this like, uh, you know, performance of pop songs, but done in like orchestral arrangements, like Bridgerton style. Like Bridgerton style, I was going to say, yeah. And you can come for the day to hang out with us. We're going to, Kennedy and I will talk. The symphony's going to perform. There's going to be food and wine. Everything's included in your ticket. Um, There are all sorts of ticket prices, like levels of tickets. Um, You can find all of that information in show notes. It is October 20th at like 2.30 2.30 in the afternoon. Um, we'll put it all in show notes, but you can also find it on my website. And um, come hang out with us. It'll be me and Kennedy and like the sim- uh, symphony the orchestra. Sim- um, which is... You've really leveled up. That's all I have to say I mean, that. <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't know that they know who they've invited. <laughs> I think it's a good time as well to have But anyway, I think that's going to be really fun. It's like a fun... It'll be a fun afternoon. Bring your friends. Have some wine. Have some hors d'oeuvres. So fun. Hang out with us. Yeah, listen to the... I don't know, them play Renaissance on strings. That sounds amazing. And sounds Kennedy. And, Ke- and Kennedy. Who, who is so fun to hang out with. Yeah, okay. exactly. So I am going to do everybody a really quick, I have four YA books to recommend. And I think um, we were talking about this. We know you don't usually do a whole lot of YA, but you might have a young reader in your life. And so this is like because these are such great books and um, often – adults feel like they only know the YA from when they were kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, YA has come a long way. And so there are, f- here are four really terrific YA romances. So if you have a young reader or uh, want to request them from your library or, you know, get them for your local, local school, then great. Okay. So I'm going to start off with actually Nisha Sharma. You all know and love her adult romances. You might not know that she also has written a couple of great YA romances, and her most recent one is called The Karma Map. And the reason I think kids would really like this book is that it essentially has two kids, um, Tara and Silas, who are going to go on sort of a, like almost like a birthright type um like trip to India, right? Like, so they have, you know, they're going to leave their families behind and you go with like a big group of people. And I feel like a lot of kids actually have an experience like this, right? Like I'm going to go somewhere and like learn about like my family my culture, like a language. 
And so in this case, um, one of the things that's really interesting about this is Tara, if you've read her previous YA books, was kind of a mean girl in a previous book. She is, you know, really popular on social media. She has a spot on the, you know, really, uh, really well-known and well-respected Bollywood dance team at Rutgers High School. But then sort of everything shatters and she is now, everyone kind of, it feels like knows the truth about her and in a terrible public way. So she goes, um, she expects a position as guide for this, like the, her youth group's tours through the temples of North India. And she just really feels like maybe she just needs to leave all of this like complicated, confusing stuff behind. And like, there's no social media, you know, she's just going to do it. Silas is actually doing something really cool, which is that his two moms went on this exact same trip when they were teenagers and met and fell in love. And they have all of these photographs of themselves in these places. And so he is planning to go. He's a photojournalist and he's going to retake some of the like recreate the photographs that were such an important part of his childhood. I really loved this book. I thought it was terrific. And it's just really great to see these two very different kids like kind of figuring out like what they mean to each other Mm -hmm. and like kind of being the older kids to the younger ones on this trip. And it is a terrific YA romance. Okay. One of my all time favorites is called I Believe in a Thing Called Love by Maureen Goo. In this book, um, Desi Lee is about to go away to college and everything seems set up. The thing she has never been able to figure out though is how to get a boyfriend. In fact, she's just like, always doing it wrong and her friends even have like some joke they're constantly making about her about how terrible she is at flirting and dating and all that stuff so she decides one weekend that her um family her her dad loves k-dramas and um he watches them obsessively and so she like spends a weekend essentially just like mainlining k-dramas in order to make a list of how the k-drama rules for true love and so she figures to get this boy she likes what she's going to do is follow just like what people on k-dramas do and that's certainly going to like all work out great <laughs> and it it does but it also is I don't know. Like, there's a really memorable scene where she sets up, like, road spikes. I love it. <laughs> don't, Desi, what are you doing? Maureen Gu <laughs> writes a terrific YA romance. This was the first and kind of still my favorite, but there's a bunch of them um, that are really good. Okay. Um, another uh, real, like, YA romance uh like juggernaut is a woman named Adiba Jagadar. And she wrote a book that kids really loved called um, Hani and Ishu's Guide to Fake Dating, which is uh, one girl comes out as bisexual and everybody kind of makes fun of her almost. And so she she's like really kind of popular and cool. And then somehow they essentially are like, you can't really be bi, you've only dated guys. So she kind of panics and says that she's actually dating um, this girl that everybody essentially thinks is just like this nerdy overachiever. Um, It's a great book and everyone loves it who has ever read it. But there (laughs) is a new book by this author that just came out this year called The Do's and Donuts of Love. In which Shireen Malik broke up with her ex, her girlfriend, Chris, and then finds out she's going to be on this reality teen baking competition show. And she's really excited because I like literally love this. It's going to bring a lot of attention to her family's donut shop, which is called called you drive me glazy oh my god (laughs) 
perfect. Has anything been more perfect? Only she gets there and finds out that Chris is also a contestant on the show, along with another really cool outgoing girl named Naima and what's going to happen, like, right between these Mm -hmm. three. So you've got a little bit of a, like, a love triangle happening. Okay, and then finally, another book that just came out, uh, like, I think at the end of last year, is called How Moon Fuentes Fell in Love with the Universe. And you know I love a character named Moon. Mm -hmm. Um, This won the very prestigious Pura Belpre Award, which is an award uh, about that recognizes Latino or Latina authors who best portray, like, the cultural experience. Um, Pura Pura Belpre was like a famous librarian who really cared about this. I think actually at a New York public library. Anyway, Moon Fuentes is um, a twin and her sister is a social media juggernaut. And she's kind of just feels like the ugly duckling. And so she's just agreed to go along on this road trip with her sister and be kind of her sister's like camera woman, like just do whatever. And instead, she meets Santiago Phillips, who is this super hot guy also on this tour. Um, They are certain they hate each other, but maybe all of this close proximity and perpetually being together is going to make her figure out that she's not the ugly duckling after all. That's how Moon Fuentes fell in love with the universe. All of these are terrific YA romances if you have a young reader in your life. Can I add a children's romance? Yes. Because we like to indoctrinate them young here in McLean House, McLeanville. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about Maggie Takuda Hall's Love in the Library, which got a lot of attention uh, this year because of her author note where the publisher removed references to racism, um, which is shocking when I tell you about what this book is about. Um, It is the true story of Maggie's grandparents who were interred uh, during World War II in an incarceration camp for Japanese Americans. Um, I just want to say, like, as somebody who grew up in New England, I did not know this even happened until I got to college because... No one ever told me in school that we had done this. So um, if you live outside of uh, certain areas of the country, you may not know that this happened. But in fact, it did. Uh, American citizens who were of Japanese descent were interred um, in incarceration camps uh, throughout the American West. Um, And uh, their parents or her grandparents, her grandmother, worked in the library um, in the camp. And her grandfather would go to the library. And they fell in love. And this book is the story of him going to the library every day uh, and falling in love with her grandmother. And it is so beautiful and so emotional. And I just love it so much. And it is the perfect first romance for your picture book readers. That's called Love in the Library by Maggie Takuda Hall. Yeah, and a great introduction to like how picture books can show us stories of like love and hope and perseverance even in the most terrible of circumstances right and so then the like it, books like that tend to have really great um back matter that often sort of give you the historical background that's what this became really the publisher tried to remove mention of racism which is why they were there and probably would give you a list of other books that you might read to your kids if they are interested in um what they learn so and also if you love mag if you you know maggie also writes like middle grade and YA fantasy so yeah once you find her you'll never stop perfect 
Okay, so we have a couple of, we're going to round out with a couple of kind of fantasy sci-fi. Is that right? And then yeah, we're done. let's do it. And then we're done. Okay, so. I mean, we're never done. Really. We're never really done. Exactly. Um, I am going to talk about uh, Wings, Once Cursed and Bound by Piper Drake. Um, this is a terrific, I think I mentioned it before on the podcast, so um, I will be pretty quick. But in Wings, Once Cursed and Bound, this whole series will be steeped in Thai culture, which it, um, is really cool because it's like learning about mythological creatures and that I've like never known about. And so Bennett Andrews is a, like a vampire who works for an organization that essentially locates um, mythical objects that have the potential to like cause trouble for humans if they run across them. And so they essentially like, he will like find and remove these objects. This is like a whole organization that takes like essentially keeps humans out of harm's way so that they don't essentially try and kill off, you know, it's like self-serving in a lot of ways. They, you know, just let's not have these humans know that we exist. <laughs> but um, he is a little too late when he tries to go retrieve these red shoes. And if you uh, the, if you wear them, you will be essentially cursed to dance until you die. But when he gets there, he sees that this ballerina has just put on these red shoes, and he's basically like, I guess I just have to sit around and wait. But she seems to have this mythical ability to resist the power of the shoes. Mm. So her name is Pierpon, and she essentially is going to, um, he's like really fascinated by her, right? Because she clearly is more than human if she has been able to resist these shoes. And so her trying to figure out exactly what it is about her that makes her so special is a big part of this book. This is the first book of a series called Myth Woven. And I am pretty excited um, to find out what happens next. Well, I you talked about a Christmas thing in uh oh yeah earlier in earlier so i'm going to talk about a christmas thing now um as you all know i am a particular fan of the santa mythology devised <laughs> by our friend adriana herrera in her toy runner series which is which include the novellas her night with santa the toy king and a new one called run darling um and you can get all if you too this love is all really these, cool. Yeah. If you too love all these series, which of course you do, because it's these are so incredibly sexy and so fun. Oh, they're so fun! I love them all so so much. Adriana has has started a Kickstarter for a special edition hardcover bound volume of all three stories of and uh if you join the kickstarter you can get uh this like special edition volume you can get just the ebooks if you want or just the paperback but let me tell you the one i joined immediately for the hardcover because you get uh, this beautifully bound foil edged like gold foiled uh bound book each with full color maybe not safe for work are <laughs> exclusively designed for this edition. Um, and you can only get it on Kickstarter through the Kickstarter campaign that Adriana has done. Um, and the newest story run darling, nobody's read yet. Cause that's right. not out yet. Um, so you can go to Adriana Herrera and learn more about the Kickstarter or 
click on the link in show notes, head over to show notes and we'll put the link there. You can get it, uh, obviously for, a. There are two tiers. You can get an ebook or there are three tiers actually. You can get an ebook, a paperback book, or a hardcover bound book. Um, and this is super exciting. And I honestly, I cannot recommend these books enough. Yeah. I say every holiday season that this is the new Santa mythology that I have introduced to my <laughs> own child, which is Santa is a family business. And sometimes yeah. she's a hot lesbian. I mean, well, maybe not that part yet, but someday. Someday. One day we'll get there. I gather think the around, thing, kids. <laughs> I really am excited about, too, like, we've had more and more romance authors kind of leaning into, like, using Kickstarter to, like, get some really beautiful books into our hands. And I think that's also kind of a really fun way to support, like, a, you know, one of your favorite authors if they have a Kickstarter, if they're putting, like, these beautiful editions out there. I think it's, like, really a fun I, – I'm – one of the things that Nikki is said in our um, our fifteen minute Firebird is she's just like more and more interested in people who are doing like interesting things in the romance space in terms of you know interacting with uh, you know readers or getting you know sort of cool stuff out there. So I am also pretty excited about supporting this Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Fun. All right. Well, I don't know how many books we talked about, Sarah. No, way wait. more than twenty. I have another one. Do we have you have another one? Okay, one. go ahead. Unless you look like you have an extra one, too. Do you want to do uh Oh, I do Number have, 32? 32. I do have. Well, listen, you know what? This is a fun one. The Hurricane Wars by Thea Guanzon. Um, this is uh, a Raylo fic, right? Oh. And we know that people really love these. And so um, in the- scrambling. Yeah, exactly. So the Hurricane Wars is uh, fantasy, I guess. I don't know. I pair- romanticy, is that what we're Who calling Who even knows what we're calling these things these I days? know. Um, again, she, it's so there's been this decade-long war called the Hurricane Wars, and they finally come to an end. And once that happens, um, we see that these two people who have been uh, like essentially on opposite sides of the war, right? Um, she grew up in this like nation under siege under the Night Emperor, and he is the um, like the heir to the Night Empire. Are essentially they have to marry each other. And so a lot of the book, like essentially the the book starts with the, the end of the hurricane wars. And then it's like time for these, um, it's like time for like diplomacy. <laughs> right. And so now we get these two, um, Taliesin is essentially, she has a special like ability to like le- weave light magic and like, of course the night emperor, it's just like darkness. And so, um, he is Prince Alaric and we're going to see what happens when these two get together. So this is a, the first of a series and it does end essentially almost like in a kind of cliffhanger. Like it's really clear. These books will continue with the same characters. Um, so I want to end with Celestine Martin because we're nice. coming up on spooky, <gasps> spooky season. season. So it's witch time, my babies. Um, the first of these books is Witchful Thinking. This is uh, the Elemental Love series. Her next book, Kiss and Spell, I think comes out soon. Yeah, yesterday. Okay, I, think. I was going to say, yeah. The 26th. So yeah, yesterday. So, But I'm going to talk about Witchful Thinking because I haven't read I just banged because I haven't read uh, the new book yet, but I am very excited to read it. So um, in Witchful Thinking, our main character, Lucinda, is 
like think it's just this like seaside witchy town where magic happens and she is alone, but she like spent, she, she's a teacher and she has a garden and she sort of conjures and she's very happy, except she seems to wish kind of regularly for just there to be something more in her life for things to get more exciting. And one night, um, she actually wishes too hard (laughs) and it, the wish becomes a spell and she accidentally spells herself. And all of a sudden Lucy cannot say no. So she has to say yes to everything that happens to her. It's like a year of yes experience, except bewitched into (laughs) saying yes. So like she has to say yes to like performing karaoke and she doesn't want to like, but she has to say yes to running a 10 K Um, And then um, her high school crush, Alexander, comes home and his house is like um, bewitched (laughs) in some way. And he's like, I need your help, Lucy. Um, And she has no choice but to say yes because she has to say yes to everything. And so now they are stuck together. Um, He is ready to go. He just wants to like unhex his house and then like (laughs) sell it and he will be in the wind um, but he's asked for her help, and now, like, she can't stop helping him. <laughs> and so Amazing. it's until she is also unhexed. And so there is a kind of sense of how are we going to, like, fix all of this magic, you know, chaos, and also how are we going to stop ourselves from falling in love? I mean, maybe we should happen. Exactly. So that is Celestine Martin's witchful thinking. It's really charming and uh, yeah, yeah. leading us right into the spooky season. Get your pumpkin spice on. Exactly. Put on a sweater. And well, listen, I think we did a fine job. Today. Listen, we listed a lot of books. This episode is probably 800 years long. So we're just going to wrap it up really fast. If you want to find out more about the 23 for 23 project, you could go to 23for23.net. Those are just like the digits, right? You don't have to spell out 23. They have a list of possible books that you might want to check out by the authors that are sponsoring this project. Um, as well as social media, like clips and, you know, graphics that you can use. So, you know, listen to Nikki, like love and talk about these books. That's all you have to do. Yeah. If you are a social media person, please use the hashtag 23 for 23 when you shout about the books that you're reading. Um, If you're not a social media person and you just want to help, head over to Amazon or to Goodreads, leave a review once you've read these books. Reviews matter a lot to publishers. Um, and they matter a lot to these like weird algorithms, especially at Amazon. So um, even so leave an honest review, um, but make sure that you do support uh, books and authors who uh, books and authors of color. Yes. So you can check us out on Patreon. You can find us on Twitter for now. Um, Blue Sky, sort of. Uh, Instagram. Blue Sky now? See, I didn't even know. I'm Kinda. learning along with everybody. Uh, Instagram is probably where we're at. And we <laughs> will, you know, see you next time. Have a yeah. great week, everybody. And if you're on the Discord, post your recommendations for 23 for 23 books. Books by and about BIPOC people. I guess that's a double thing, but <laughs> yeah. we're trying, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Chapter 1. 
Grayson Cartwright, a.k.a. a guy who should have picked a different bar. It would have been nice if today could have told me it didn't intend to go as planned. Rude today, very rude, but not as rude as the woman currently sitting next to me. Correction, pretending to sit next to me while actually attempting to crawl into my lap and take my kombucha. Ooh, is that the lime mojito flavor? She asks, poking at a glass in my sample flight. The outdoor beach bar is lit mostly with tiki torches, and the music is drowning out the sound of the ocean waves. But it's not drowning out the woman. They ran out before I got any, is it good? Should have picked a different seat, in a different bar. Considering how much of a failure every bit of today has been, I didn't even need to come to this state. My phone buzzes on the bar. I lift it, see that both my sister and my former business partner are sending me walls of texts, grimace, and flip the device back over without reading it. Much. The main points are hard to miss. Selfish asshole. You agreed to this. If you were really over it, you'd send her a birthday gift. Quit being a dick and get the lights turned back on. Both of them mad at me for vastly different things. Both of them telling stories vastly different from the truth in order to, oddly enough, try to get back on my good side. I should change my number. Maybe my name, too. And if I don't quit gripping this glass so hard, I'll have to change my shirt as well. I make myself put it down as I realize how badly my hand is shaking. Can you think of anything sadder than leaving Hawaii without trying lime mojito kombucha? The woman leans even closer, her hair brushing my arm. I landed in Hawaii four hours late because of a maintenance issue with the plane. Then I was assigned a rental car with a flat tire and waited an extra hour before the company could find another car. And once I arrived at the resort where I was supposed to attend, okay, wreck, a wedding, everything was crickets. The whole reason I flew across the Pacific was canceled. No destination wedding, no reception. No chance to watch Chandler Sullivan's face when I announced to his family, friends, and new bride that he was a failure who had to sell his family's Colorado Mountain Cafe to me because of online gambling problems. A jilting, apparently. At a resort with so few staff, I gave up on finding someone to check me in and found a different hotel a few miles up the road. And while Chandler Sullivan deserves every shit thing that's ever happened to him, I'm irritated that I didn't get to play a part. Not that I'm normally a dick. Current circumstances happen to be extenuating. I enjoy the hell out of justice being served, and the opportunity presented itself at the exact moment when I needed something to land on the right side of karma, but couldn't get justice anywhere else. And now I'm debating if I want to finish my flight with this woman next to me, or if I want to give up on trying to figure out the mystery flavor in this lemon-ginger kombucha and find a better place to attempt to enjoy my limited time in Hawaii. Plenty of places to choose from. Can't beat paradise, 
even if I didn't get to enjoy my long-coming revenge. Yet, I still own Chandler Sullivan's cafe, signed the papers this morning before boarding the flight that was supposed to get me here just in time to destroy his life the same way he once destroyed mine. Not the exact same, but close enough. And I still get to watch everyone in his hometown realize what he's done and what will ultimately happen to his family's business. Just not at his wedding. Not that I'm asking you to share. The woman giggles a high-pitched giggle that threatens to split my eardrums while she tries to lean even closer. And that would be too much, wouldn't it? Or would it? Wow, your hands are really big. <laughs> Look at your thumb, that's a really big thumb. I suck in a breath through my nose, twist on my stool to block her with my body, and pretend I can hear the ocean surf over the sound of this woman's chatter and the 80s music playing on the bar's speaker system. Really big thumb, the woman repeats. I take another swig of my lemon-ginger kombucha and close my eyes while I swirl it around my mouth. What is that aftertaste? It's different. Reminds me of the holidays, but fir tree isn't right and also doesn't make any sense. I love a good puzzle, especially after a long day of not much going right. Are your feet as big? The woman next to me asks. And this kombucha is a mystery I won't be solving. Today's a wash. I start to move, leaving most of my flight still intact in front of me, when a whirlwind arrives on my other side. Hi, honey, a short redhead says. To me. Sorry I'm late. Parking the car took forever. Did you order dinner yet? Is she... is she talking to me? She subtly moves her green eyes to the woman on the other side of me, then adds an equally subtle eye roll. Honey? She repeats. My brain kicks in, and so does my mouth, right as my phone vibrates on the bar again. No. Silly. <laughs> You're so good at ordering for me. You didn't have to wait. I know you were starving after. She winks. It's a massive, exaggerated wink that's so unexpected and legitimately goofy that it startles a small laugh out of me. That hasn't happened in weeks. Months. Laughing at a stranger is uncomfortable enough that I almost reach for my phone to see what half-truth message my sister or my former business partner has sent now. Instead, I make myself nod at the woman. I was hungrier than a whale, I agree. And so mellow you forgot to save me a seat. She laughs and pats my hand like touching me is the most natural thing in the world, her fingertips soft and light as a butterfly's wings, then pulls away before I can process that she invaded my personal space. A wave of goosebumps spreads up my wrist and forearm. Do I know her? I don't know her. I'm positive I don't know her. Not that it's likely I'd run into someone I know at a random bar in Hawaii. To the best of my knowledge, Chandler was the only person I anticipated seeing here that I would have known before. Any of his old friends from college would not have been friends of mine. 
And this curvy redhead in a shimmery green halter top, flowery skirt, and high-heeled ankle boots wasn't one of his friends in college. I'm positive I've never seen her before. She has an air, a sparkle that almost reminds me of my grandmother. I'd recognize that sparkle if I'd seen this woman before. Excuse me, she says to the kombucha flirt who's been falling all over me. Do you mind moving down a seat so I can sit with my husband? It should be the most ball-shriveling statement a woman could make, especially given the subject of one of the conversations still making my phone vibrate on the bar. Instead, I realize I'm subconsciously leaning toward her the same way the kombucha flirt has been leaning into me. The unwelcome space-invading, kombucha-thieving woman stutters out in awkward response while the redhead circles behind me, trailing those butterfly-wing fingers lightly up my arm, over my shoulders, and down my other arm, setting my skin on fire under my Hawaiian shirt. Thank you so much. You're the best. I barely register that the kombucha flirt is retreating far, far down the bar. All of my attention is on the redhead. It's curly. Her hair, I mean. It's a mass of curly copper frizzing all over her head. She's so short, even in the heeled boots, that she has to boost herself into the newly vacant bar stool. And now that sparkle is fading as she gives me a pained smile. Apologies for invading your bubble. You looked like you needed a save, and I need to do about 5,000 more good deeds today. I'll pretend to talk to you for a few more minutes, and then be on my way. You can ignore me. Stay. The word falls out of my mouth while my guard goes up. If there's one thing marital counseling taught me, and that recent business developments reinforced, it's that I'm historically terrible at recognizing when I'm being manipulated. So I'm studying this woman closely while her smile goes from pained to I have sunk to the most miserable depths of hell and will never get out. Oh, honey, she says, rapidly shaking her head. You do not want my stink on you. Yep, I'm officially intrigued. Still massively on guard, can't help it, but intrigued. You murder someone? She grimaces. Only their reputation. And how- Get you something? The bartender interrupts. The redhead flashes a smile at him. Water, please, and his drinks are on me. Before I can utter a word, she passes a credit card across the bar. I have umpteen messages from my sister making my phone vibrate endlessly because I failed to contribute to or RSVP for the massive birthday bash she's throwing for my ex-wife in Antigua next month. My parents regularly request that I lend, and I do mean lend without repayment, them money because you owe us after the top-notch education we gave you at boarding school all of those years. You know that's why our part of the family trust fund ran dry. My business partner just took five years' worth of my research and sold it to his buddy's startup company because you don't need the money, Gray. Do somebody a favor for once. For once. For once. Fuck that. 
So someone else picking up my tab purely for the purpose of doing a good deed for someone else? This is refreshing. And paranoia-making. Is she playing me? Does she know who I am? Seems unlikely. None of my siblings or their children were quick or smart enough to become celebrities for being rich, and the trust fund from the old Cartwright Apple Farm empire dried up before any of them thought to try it. We're obscure in the world of old rich families. Plus, we're not actually rich anymore. Not as a family. As for me personally, the only people who care who I am and where I made my own small fortune are in apiology or the food packaging industry. Which is exactly how I like it. No arguing, the redhead says when she catches me watching her while the bartender runs her card. I have too many more good deeds to do today. Kombucha forgotten. I like this mystery better. Dangerous spot to like the mystery of a woman. The last time it ended with a hellacious divorce that most of my family still hasn't forgiven me for. How's a woman like you come to dabble in ruining reputations, I ask. She squeezes her eyes shut. You don't want that story. Seems like something a wife would share. Not that mine ever did. I found out what she'd been doing online after our separation. The redhead laughs, but it's a sad laugh. Did I imagine the sparkle? I really thought that woman would demand to see our rings, she says. I'm allergic to anything on my fingers and yours is being upgraded. Quick work making a cover story. But the minute you say allergic to anything on my fingers, every woman in a 10-state radius will know you're allergic to commitment. We're in Hawaii, no state radii. It extends beyond the ocean and wraps back around the other side of the world. Also, did you just say radii? That's adorable. Mathematician? Sure, let's go with that. It's a deal, Mr. Mathematician. Excellent. And your industry is... Reputation ruination. We've covered this. Unique profession. Reputation ruination. Is it your side job or is that your nine to five? Is it a work from home thing or do you have an office? I know a person or two who could use those services. I add a smile, even though I'm dead serious. If my new life mission is to be the superhero, super vengeance man, I could use a sidekick who can ruin the reputations of people who deserve it. She sigh groans. Look, you seem like a nice person. Ah, uh, and here comes the blow-off. I'm actually smiling out of instinct instead of forcing it now. Feels good. This isn't about you, the redhead says. It's about me using gossip improperly. Go on. No. Look, I can take a no. This isn't me not taking a no. This is me observing that you look sad and you're still sitting here. You did me a favor. Seemed like a good wing woman. Just saying, if you need to get something off your chest, I'm here. Nothing good ever comes of gossiping. I lift my brows. And she sigh groans again. That's such a lie. Lots of good comes from gossiping. Do you know how many of my friends I saved from not just bad relationships, but potentially dangerous relationships because of gossip? 
how many people I've saved from getting into the wrong job, the number of family reunions that weren't even mine that I saved with a well-placed, you should consider bringing something else because potato salad is your fiancé's aunt's thing and if you tread on that, she'll leave her dogs to his sister instead of him and you know how much he loves Fluffy and Sparky. When you know everything there is to know about your community, you can use your knowledge for good. You don't have to just use it for evil. Saving someone from being disinherited over potato salad seems like a good use of gossip. I'm off gossip. Those poor dogs. I hope they're happy with second-rate parents. Huh. I'm being funny. She chances a look at me, a hint of an actual smile twisting her curvy lips and a little sparkle coming back into her green eyes. Confirmed. I am being funny. What's your name? I ask her. She shakes her head. I'll go first. Hi, I'm Duke. Lovely to meet you. You're Duke. Don't I look like a Duke? She bursts out laughing, which does a funny thing in my chest area that I actively ignore no matter how much I want to like it. No. <laughs> I fake a gasp of horror. You gossip and mock my name? It's just so ironic, since my name is Duchess. It's my turn to laugh. Actually laugh. Who am I, and what's happening to me? She props an elbow on the bar and settles her head in her hand, watching me while she swings one leg. Are you a gossip? I'm a hermit in training. She gestures around the open-air bar. Clearly that's working out well for you. This is me being the bigger person and not burdening you with gossip about my life. She studies me, as though she's trying to decide which of those statements I'm serious about. Both. I might have given her a fake name, but I would absolutely be a hermit, and I had no intention of being the bigger person at any point today, so it's quite remarkable, really. You didn't need a save, did you? She drops her head in her hands and groans. I can't even do good deeds right today. No, no, I did. And lucky me, my savior is fascinating. The bartender returns with her credit card and a glass of water. She glances back at the kombucha flirt while she tucks her card away before I can get a glimpse of the name on it, clearly trying to decide if her good deed is done or not. You like fried calamari? I ask her. No, she says, but thank you. Shrimp cocktail? Poke? Sashimi? She's still watching us, by the way. Apparently one laugh is all I'm getting. Her smile has ghosted her once again. You're entirely too good for me tonight. Please, drink your drinks. I'm not here. Thank you, stranger in a bar who's being far kinder than I deserve. I'm Duke, I interrupt. We're not strangers anymore. She has incredibly expressive eyes. They're emeralds in a sea-green bay simultaneously telling me she knows I'm lying about my name, that if I was Duke, I'd pull out my driver's license and prove it, and also that exchanging even fake names is too much of a relationship for her. Truly, you don't want anything to do with me. She insists again. I'm failing to understand what someone who saves dogs from awful futures and relationships from splitting over potato salad 
could have done that's so terrible that you have to decline the best of what Hawaii has to offer in appetizers. Her gaze wavers. Do you have siblings? I grimace, then grab my phone, which is still vibrating with text messages, and shut the damn thing off before shoving it in my pocket. Siblings of your heart, then? She presses, obviously not missing what's going on with my phone. Someone you love so much that you'd do anything for them? Zen springs to mind immediately. My brother's eldest child doesn't fit the family mold. Mimi, my grandmother, is such a close second that she might not have been second at all. How a woman as fascinating and kind as Mimi birthed such an ungrateful and unpleasant man as my father is beyond me. I tend to blame my grandfather. And I used to include Vince, my business partner, as my family. But he launched himself firmly into the former friend category when he lied to me about what I was signing. He's single-handedly responsible for sending me into my villain era and no longer deserves my time. Thought so, Duchess says softly. Have you ever hurt them so badly you weren't sure they'd forgive you? that you could forgive yourself because you forgot the rules? Dangerous question. Is there a person on Earth who doesn't have regrets? I just... I don't want to know what I know anymore. I want it all gone, permanently erased from my brain. You know where they keep the bodies? I stage whisper. No, but I know where they water down the drinks, and who's running the fake ID scam for seniors who want an elderly discount before they honestly qualify, and why you should never, ever, ever get a muffin from the bake sale at Winterfest. Why shouldn't you get a muffin? Because Mrs. Pineapple beats the batter too much and thinks lavender doesn't make them taste like chewy soap. She claps a hand over her mouth, but keeps talking. I have to go. I really, really do. Mrs. Pineapple? Thank you for that being all that you'll remember of what I just said. Is your admirer gone yet? Nope. Still watching us. Probably really curious why we haven't gotten any food yet. We should be starving after our afternoon activities. You'll have to sit here and actually have dinner with me. If her lips weren't trying to tip up despite the grief in her eyes, I'd leave her alone. But she did me a solid. I'm intrigued, and I feel like I owe her. Or we could get out of here, I say. Her gaze shifts to the flight of kombucha still in front of me. Doing good deeds is a much better partner activity. I rise off my stool and offer her my hand. And we'll look like horny honeymooners, and my admirer will fully get the hint whereas I'll be completely and totally at her mercy if she thinks we're having a fight. You basically have to come with me, at least until she can't see us anymore. Wouldn't it be horrible if we happened to do one of your five million good deeds together along the way? Her eyes almost light up with amusement. Almost, but not quite. You are trouble. Not generally. This has to be you. While she's clearly struggling, I'm smiling broadly. Odd sensation. My cheeks will probably hurt tomorrow. 
But there's nothing in the world I want more right now than to see where a night of doing good deeds with a woman who's having a bad day and trying to do better will take me. She looks at my hand, then tilts her head to look up at me. Despite how far she's craning her neck, she hits me with straight-on eye contact with those fascinating green eyes that makes goosebumps break out on my skin again. Spontaneity and I are distant acquaintances. We get along fine on the rare instance when we're thrown together. See, also, I wasn't planning on buying a mountain cafe, but the opportunity presented itself with the best of timing. But neither of us go out of our way to see each other. Nothing else about today has gone as planned. I'm leaning into the unexpected and salvaging what I can. Considering I intend to ruin Chandler Sullivan's life the minute I set foot in his hometown, it wouldn't be bad for me to do a few good deeds myself, no matter how much he deserves it. The last time I took someone with me for a string of good deeds, four chickens terrorized the grocery store for a full weekend, and the town council asked me to refrain from participating in random acts of kindness day ever again, Duchess says. I don't even know her real name, and I am all in on spending the rest of my time in Hawaii with this woman. I've officially been warned, and I've had a shitty day that should be balanced with good karma as well. Would it count as a good deed if you took me out on your string of good deeds so that I can have fun and improve the world too? She hesitates for another long breath. But then she slips off the stool, going back to being even shorter, and she takes my hand. Electricity jolts through my entire body. I don't know who she is. I don't know why she's having a bad day. I don't know how much I'll regret this tomorrow. Punishment comes in all forms, she mutters to herself. Oh, yes. This will be a night to remember. <laughs>